We'll get into the Word of God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter seven. Two Corinthians seventh chapter. Just want to read a couple of verses from here. Uh, first of all. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, reading from verse 13. Paul said, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort. We rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. And then in Romans chapter 10, just one verse, verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And again, in chapter 9 of Romans, uh, the last verse, verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Amen. Now, Paul had boasted to Titus many things regarding these uh, Corinthian Christians. His estimation and his expectation of them was quite high. But now that he had sent Titus to them, uh, in a way he had stuck his neck out. He had taken a chance. What of all his boasting of them was in vain? What if they didn't rise to the occasion? What if they didn't reach the mark? What if he was embarrassed about them when Titus went? Was he exaggerating? Would they live up to the good report? I think in the scriptures we have just read together, in 2 Corinthians 7, I believe we see that Paul gives his answer, that he was not ashamed, and that his confidence in them was true. If we could replace the word ashamed with the word disappointed, it might make a little bit more sense. He was not disappointed. Everything he had said to Titus about the Corinthian believers was absolutely true. And in that sense, he was well vindicated and his confidence was well placed. Now Romans 10.11 and Romans 9.33, let's compare this to what Paul said of Christ. Whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed or shall not be disappointed. Whoever believes on him shall not be disappointed. If we're trusting in him, if we're serving him and loving him and living for him, we shall not be disappointed. Can somebody say amen? Now, the dictionary uh, definition of disappointment is this, failure of expectation or intention. Failure of expectation or intention. The holiday destination was absolutely nothing 
at what you saw in the brochure. They promised an ocean view. And you got that, about two feet of it, through two apartment complexes. And you're about three miles from the ocean. So they didn't live up to the expectation. The goods in the shop weren't just quite what you thought they would be when you got it home. Sally and I, I think it was our last year, the year before, I can't remember, but recently anyway, we, uh, we got a new settee for our living room. And it was a lovely leather settee. And uh, we went along to the shop and we looked at this beautiful leather settee and we thought that looks lovely, that will look nice in our living room. And we had a good look around it and we saw the price and everything seemed fine. And uh, the only thing was there was a couple little slight snags in, it, in the leather. And so we asked the proprietor about that and he says, well... Uh, it's, it's genuine uh, cow hide and, and you know how cows from time to time they lean up against the, the bar wire and sometimes it snags their, their hide and, and so that's in the hide there's nothing can be done about that it's just it's natural and some people like that he said trying to make the big sell for us and we says well we don't really like that <laughs> it's not for us but uh, if we ordered one from you because there was no more in stock, uh, would, it, would it be good? He says, yeah, it'll be good. He says, no, we, we never know till we get it, but he says, I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine. So we went ahead and we ordered, and six weeks later it was delivered uh, to our, our house, and it was, it was wrapped up in, in corrugated cardboard and cellophane and all that, and so the two guys, they stripped all that and placed it, and Sully being Sully had a good look around it, uh, inside and outside and upside and downside, and lo and behold, we found uh, a mark on it. And it wasn't just a snag. It was actually, it was, it was actually stamped. What do you call that? What do you do with a cow? What do you call that? Branded. It was, the actual brand of the cow was on it. <laughs> Somewhere in Argentina, some farm, somebody branded that. And they actually put that on it. And of course, we couldn't have that either. Like, who wants a sativa cow brand on it? So that had to go back. So it just didn't quite live up to the expectation. And we were disappointed. The flight was cancelled. You got an F in mass. You were made redundant. There's a thousand things in life that can disappoint us. Paul was very disappointed with Demas. He had invested a lot of time and prayer an effort into raising this young man up as a man of God. And instead, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Jesus was disappointed with Thomas. He wasn't among the group that first appearance of Jesus after the resurrection. He missed that great moment. And whenever they told him, he says, I will not believe unless I see with my eyes and as I touch, I will not believe. Next time he was there and Jesus says, Thomas, be not faithless but believing. Put out your hand and touch me. He'd be disappointed at his attitude of unbelief. Peter was very disappointed with himself, was he not? But who forever believes on him shall never be disappointed because Christ will never ever let you down. The woman with the issue of blood was not disappointed. She'd been disappointed with the physicians. 
She'd been disappointed with every doctor she'd ever went to. She spent all of her money, and instead of getting better, rather she grew worse. For 12 long years, all she had was disappointment after disappointment after disappointment until she met Christ. And she says, if I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And she was, and he did make her whole. And she was not disappointed in Christ. The woman at the well had been very disappointed. She had had six men in her life. Her life. The one she was with, she wasn't married to. Maybe she had so many disappointments in the past that she just couldn't commit herself. But Jesus was the seventh man in her life. And she wasn't disappointed with him. Sure she wasn't. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Blind Bartimaeus was not disappointed with Jesus. <laughs> he shouted when he saw him coming, You son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> and they told him to shut up and be quiet. Your embarrassment. You're only an old beggar. But Jesus stopped on his tracks and he called him. And Bartimaeus was not to be disappointed. Sure he wasn't. He got his miracle and he got his sight back. Those 5,000 on the hillside, those men besides women and children, they were not disappointed. They had sat with Jesus for three days listening to him preach and teach. They were hungry. Disciples wanted to get rid of them because they were hungry too. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You give them something to eat. And he produced that marvelous miracle that all four gospel writers write about it. And thousands and thousands of people that day were not disappointed. And so we can truly put our trust and our hope and our confidence and our faith in the Lord. And we shall not be disappointed. He's not going to fail us and he's not going to let us down. Because... Because he's faithful. Because he is faithful. Some wonderful scriptures here. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Psalm 36 and 5. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens as thy faithfulness reaches Unto the clouds. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Peter 4.19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Hebrews 2.7 Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things, 
pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Almost three. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Revelation 1 and 5 And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so many scriptures speak of the faithfulness of God. D.L. Moody said, Trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money and you will have it taken from you. Trust in reputation and some slanderous tongue may ruin it. But trust in God and you will never be confounded in time or in eternity. Do you know what the middle verse of the Bible is? Psalm 18.8 It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And isn't that the truth? Because with the best will in the world, we feel. We don't mean to. We make promises that we don't keep. And it's not that we don't mean to. It's just sometimes we can't. But God is faithful. And not only is God faithful, but God is able. Romans 4.21, what God has promised, he is able also to perform. Romans 14, he is able to make us stand. Jude 24, he is able to keep us from falling. You don't have to backslide. Some do, but you don't have to. You can go on in Christ because he is able to keep you from falling. You say, but I get so tempted. He's still able to keep you from falling. There is no temptation that has taken you, such as common demand. But with the temptation, God will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He is able to keep you from falling. Ephesians 3.20 He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. Hebrews 7.25 He is able to save to the uttermost. Lord Radstock was preaching in Woolwich one time. The meeting went on quite late. And he had to rush to catch his train home. He just got on the train and the guard blew the whistle and the doors closed and he was just about to move off. And a young army officer banged on the carriage window. He said, Sir, I heard you speak tonight. He says, Tell me, how can a young man stay straight? And Lord Radstock, as the train was beginning to move, he took his pencil out of his pocket and he laid it on the palm of his hand. And he said to the young man, he says, can that pencil stand up? He said, no. Lord Radstock took the pencil in his right hand, grabbed it, and stood it straight up in the palm of his hand. And the young man says, ah, but you're holding it. He says, exactly. If you give your life to Christ, he'll take a hold of you. 
and he'll keep you upright. And that was the last thing the young armory officer saw of Lord Radstock as a train moved away from the station. 25 years later, in India, the two of them met again. And the young army officer said, that day on the railway platform, when you showed me the pencil, when you drove off on that train, that day I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I can tell you, as you said, he has held me upright ever since. He has kept me from falling. He is faithful. He is able. Because he is true. 1 Kings 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there has not failed one word of all his good promise which he promised through his servant Moses. Every word that God spoke prophetically through Moses came true. Not one word failed of what Moses spoke on God's behalf. And if that's the case, how much more when God's Son spoke? How much more are those promises true today for you and for me? Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? <laughs> Some men are faithful, but they're not able. Some men are able, but they're not faithful. But God is both able and he's faithful because he's true. He can and he will, thank God. In Revelation 19.11, his name is faithful and true. And his name denotes his nature, his character. Names are very important in the Bible because that's what they denote. And thank God he is true and he is faithful and he is able so we can count on him today. Now let me tell you something. Sooner or later, if it hasn't already happened, it's going to happen. Somebody is going to fail you. Somebody is going to disappoint you. Somebody for sure is going to offend you in their humanity. And sooner or later, you are going to be the one that will feel someone else. You'll be the one that will offend somebody. Because that's her humanity. But not Christ. He'll never fail you. He'll never let you down. And even though men will Surely will. But you look beyond the person. And you look to Christ because he's never let you down. And he never will let you down. But you see, sometimes we get our eyes on people and situations and things. And all of that is subject to failure. 
And all of that is subject to passing away. It's temporal. But Christ is the one who's real, who's steady, who's faithful. So look beyond the person and look to Christ. Look beyond the people and look to Christ. Not only that, but he is just. Now there's many things in this life that seem just so unfair. The righteous suffer, the wicked seem to go free. The good die young, while the evil live on. And it seems that too many times that the victim suffers more than the criminal, even after the criminal is caught. And it's so unjust and it's so unfair. But who said this world is fair and who said it is just? It isn't. It's a fallen world. It's a sinful world. It's not the world that God made originally. It's not the world that God will have in the end. But it's what we have right now. But the trouble is, you see, that we're always wanting the books to balance in this life. And sometimes they do, but many times they don't. It's nice if the books do balance in this life and you can see it. You think of the unfairness, the injustice. Joseph's brothers betrayed their only young brother. They betrayed him. They sold him into slavery. Think of the injustice of that. Didn't deserve it. Think of the injustice in Potiphar's wife who lied about him, ruined his reputation, dragged him into the gutter, gotten him imprisoned. Think of all the injustice that happened to him. But think of how the books were balanced. And in the end, God raised him up to be prime minister of the mighty empire of Egypt. And in his lifetime, he saw the books balanced. I wish all of us could see the books balanced in our lifetime, but I suspect many of us won't. Think of Moses. You know, if you look at it, I suppose on, on a surface level, it, it, seemed, it seemed like God was being unfair. I mean, he had two million whining, whinging people to look after for 40 years. That would try the patience of any man. And he only lost his temper once. And that prevented him leading them into the promised land. Now, if you look at that casually, it would seem like it's a bit unfair. After all the stuff that he went through and stuck, <laughs> put up with, tolerated. Blew up once. Couldn't lead them into the promised land. But you see, Moses represented the law. The law that would be continually broken. The law that cannot lead any man or woman into God's promised land. We need a Savior. We need a Rescuer. We need a Deliverer. We need a Joshua. 
because that's what his name means. And Joshua led them into the promised land. So, on the surface, it seemed like that Moses got a raw deal. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew 17, who appears beside Jesus but Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, speaking of Jesus' demise. And what a glorious moment for Moses. What a glorious moment. The Old Testament, the last we heard about Moses was he died and God buried him somewhere in Mount Nebo. He was never found. But in the New Testament, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's standing talking to the Son of God about his crucifixion. Hebrews 11. Be lovely the books balanced in this life, but they don't always. In Hebrews 11, the great roll call of faith. In verse 32, What more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson? And Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. But others were tortured, not accepting a deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted with slain with the sword. They wandered in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a testimony through faith, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not Receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Ah. Ah, they had to wait for us, for the books to be balanced. And that's what it is sometimes. Revelation 15 Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King 
of the saints. We're talking here about tremendous judgments that's going to be poured out upon the earth. And just in case we think that God is not fair or unjust, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. He is just. He is true. We'll not read all of this, but just to remind you of something that Abraham said to God in Genesis 18, you remember the two angels came to check out Sodom and Gomorrah. God was going to judge them. But to be absolutely fair, he sent these angels to check it out, to make sure that they were ready for judgment. It says in verse 16, Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice and that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Because the righteous man Lot was there and his family. Lot, who was righteous, but he vaxed his soul every day because he lived in that horrible, sinful place. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. You shall not the judge of all the earth do right. What a powerful statement is that. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Reminding God of his justice and his fairness and his equity and his compassion. And of course then, if you read on down through the story of the Lord and Abraham, in a way they bartered for the souls of the righteous. And then the end says, if there's ten righteous, God says, if there's ten, I'll spare the city. But imagine out of that great city, there wasn't even ten righteous people in it because it was given almost wholly over to sin. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? If you're ever wondering about God, is he just, is he fair? Remind yourself of that scripture shall not the judge of all the earth do right. You can trust his judgment. You can trust God's fairness. He's faithful, he's able, he's true, and he's absolutely just. Whoever believes on him shall not be disappointed. Aren't you glad for that today? 
Lots of disappointments in this life. And as long as we live in it, there'll be times we'll be disappointed, but it'll never be with Christ. It'll never be with Jesus because he'll never fail us and he'll never forsake us. Lo, I'm with you even unto the end. Glory to God. Let's pray. Let's just take these few moments in closing this morning. And just in your heart, why did you just thank him for his faithfulness? Sometimes life is rough. Sometimes we've got to go through some difficult times. Stuff happens. Didn't ask for it. Sometimes we didn't even know it was coming, but it happened. Somebody says a friend is someone when the whole world goes out, a friend is the one who comes in. When the whole world leaves you, Christ won't. He'll never forsake you. Everybody lets you down, He won't let you down. So keep looking to Him today and thank Him for His faithfulness. Lord, we bless you at a time such as this when there is so much uncertainty in this world, that you are the one sure anchor that we have. You are the rock on which we stand. So we can trust you completely today because your word is true and your promises are great. And Lord, your name is sure. So we thank you today for who you are. We thank you for your character, for your nature. We bless you that we can count on you at all times. And we thank you for that. So Lord, whatever is ahead in our lives, over these days or weeks or months or years, however long we've got left on this earth, help us to look to you and to trust you wholly. Then we'll not be disappointed. We'll never be ashamed because we put our trust in Christ. It is in his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen.